0: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. A lot of winners today even as the average is sold off toward the end of the session. Dow finishing off 69 points, S&P declining 0.38%, Nasdaq losing 0.12%. There are all sorts of reasons why a stock might rally. From President elect Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan announced this afternoon to Fed Chiefs Jay Powell's encouraging words about the need to keep money easy. The Fed won't take its foot off the gas pedal anytime soon. Oh, there are companies like Delta that this morning on Squawkbox finally started talking about the huge boost they'll get as people get vaccinated. And then there are shortages which are rapidly becoming my major focus. Oh, of course, we have a shortage in vaccines and in people to distribute them. That's bad for everyone. We're going to talk about that later tonight. But I want to talk about some very important shortages that are actually going on in the market that you probably don't know about. Last night, for example, Taiwan Semiconductor, the gigantic chip manufacturer reported a stunning quarter. Taiwan Semi can't produce enough chips to meet demand. So the company's boosting its capital equipment budget by 50 percent. That's a bonanza for companies like Lam Research, applied materials that make this kind of capital equipment. And it won't be the last. Taiwan Semi, you may not know, but that's a six hundred fifty five billion dollar company. It's the biggest. It's the giant one. And it needs it has so much demand that there's a shortage at the same time. Every red hot IPO represents another joyous kind of shortage. Look at Petco, the reinvented pet supply chain, which came public at $18 today, immediately spiked at $26, closed at $29.40. Makes sense. The Petco deal was 15 times oversubscribed. Poshmark, the online clothing exchange did even better. Pricing at $42, opened at $97.50, climbed all the way to $101.50. Same story. Not enough stock to go around. Yesterday, it was a firm's turn. That's a financial technology IPO. Uh, The shortage there produced a huge run, started at 49, closed today at 115. Astonishing. You can argue these companies should just issue more stock, but the underwriters want to be sure that these deals work no matter what. And they do that by engineering a true stock shortage. They just also, of course, didn't count all the additional demand from this new cohort of younger investors that you know I like to focus on. But now I want to talk to you about another kind of shortage entirely, a stock shortage. That's dominating the action underneath, as I like to call it. And it's called the busting of the short sellers. That's right. There are individuals who are banding together and they are busting the short sellers. We're seeing short squeezes after short squeezes after short squeezes. Some of them have generating such major gains that I'm talking about. Ah. Yes. Take GameStop, Bed Bath & Beyond, last two days. Let's talk. I don't normally discuss these issues Uh, I don't like to talk about a short squeeze. It's not investable. I don't want to encourage it. It has to do with the mechanics of money management. You know short sellers bet against stocks, right? They want them to go lower. The way they do that is by borrowing shares from the vault of a brokerage. Then they sell those shares with a plan to buy them back later, hopefully at a lower price. The key here is that those borrowed shares must be found and be returned. Most of the time, the system works. Works well. But periodically and more than ever right now, you get a situation where so many people have their stock that they can't locate shares to return them to the real buyers. When that happens, you end up paying a fortune to close out your position. Sometimes your broker will do it for you if you can't do it yourself. It's a nightmare. I've been caught in a short squeeze when I was at my hedge fund. About 30 years ago, I bet against a bunch of banks that everyone hated at the time. It was during the savings and loans crisis. In particular, I'd shorted uh, shares in a bank headquarter right here in Rutherford, New Jersey. Unfortunately, so many other people had shorted it, too. that my broker called me one night and said, hey, listen, unless I found stock to return to him, he'd just buy it back and close out my position in the open market at any price he wanted. I couldn't find any shares. So they bought back the stock that night at a massive premium to where it was actually traded twice, twice the level. Now there's a short squeeze. The funny thing, the bank I was shorting, it went bust not long after. But because I couldn't locate any shares, what would have been a huge win turned into a gigantic loss for me? When you short a stock, you're always on the hook to your broker, and sometimes that blows up right in your face. And right now, it is blowing up in somebody's face big time. Yes, I am seeing short squeezes all over the place. In many cases, they are actually being orchestrated by motivated young stock buyers who are explicitly trying to crush the shorts using websites that, frankly, are a lot of fun, but I think are encouraging people to do something that I hope they continue to make money on. They may not. And that brings me to GameStop, the troubled video game retailer. For years, this stock has been absolutely hated because the whole industry has been moving online. So shorting GameStop have been like shooting fish in a barrel. But then two things happened. First, a highly acclaimed activist investor, Ryan Cohen, joined the board of directors, got a good track record. He's the guy who founded Chewy, the phenomenally successful online pet food retailer. Second and more important, the new PlayStation and Xbox launch. And you can't find them anywhere. There's so much demand. Suddenly, the short sellers who'd made so much money in this stock were on the run. Remember when I said there were too many people that shorted Rutherford Bank? So I ended up uh, that I ended up getting bought in right now. An astounding one hundred and forty four percent of GameStop shares have been sold short. Uh, that's far more than there is. That's not right. It's shares can't be borrowed when you can't find shares to borrow. Your broker will close out your short position, which is how something like GameStop could tack one 27 percent today. The thing is, this is not a regular short squeeze. We have a ton of enthusiastic young buyers in this market. They love to get behind stocks and flood all the social media sites with recommendations. Think Wall Street Bets on Reddit, the popular online information site. Right now, if you go to those sites, and I encourage you to take a look at this, they're populated mostly by younger readers and participants who are plainly, openly plotting to blow up the shorts. In this case, by buying game stock at any price and bidding the stock up, up, and up to crush the shorts so they have to cover get it taken it up. It's incredible to watch. I think they're succeeding beyond their wildest dreams. Back in August, GameStop traded at four. Then it went to 15 when the new consoles launched, and we realized video games would have a great holiday season. Then it jumped to $20 when the activists joined the board. Uh, and then, since then, the buyers have hit the stock message boards and urged a gang tackle of the shorts. GameStop has now doubled in two days. Now, with a stock just under $40, management should issue shares to pay down debt and change their fortunes. This is the perfect time to fundraise. i called them to ask them why they aren't doing it. Got no response. The short squeeze would make it so easy. Although you could argue maybe it's not ethical. It would make it easy. Oh, it's not just GameStop. There's a whole new world of stock shortages out there. There's Jum, parent of uh, Taco Bell, uh, KFC, Pizza Hut, they announced they're partnering with the heavily shorted Beyond Meat. So the stock jumps 13 percent, just like that. Or how about Bed Bath & Beyond? B-B-B-Y. That's a stock you know I like. I like it very much. After doing nothing for ages, this stock has caught fire, jumping almost 19 percent today. Why? Well, a poster on Reddit's Wall Street Bets wrote a piece titled, The BBBY Short Squeeze Starts Now! And he gave you some rocket ship emojis, of course. Then, quote, earnings were not a disaster, and BBBY is about to burn all caps the shorters with buybacks! Others quickly joined him. Of course, bass has been buying stocks for ages. I mean, this is just another short me- social media orchestrated short squeeze, just like I saw in GameStop, because 67 percent of Bed Bath shares have been sold short. Oh, boy, that makes them short sellers, easy pickings. Is this a real way to make money? Listen, I actually don't like short bas- bashing and stuff like this feels incredibly sketchy to me. But you know what? I can't deny it's working. And my job is to show show things that are working to you. The bottom line. Like it or not, right now we got a bull market and short busting. And I bet you'll see more stories like GameStop and Bed Bath. I don't recommend trying to game them. But at least now you know what's really driving things. Leaf in Colorado, Leaf. Hi, Jim. Hi, Leaf.
1: Longtime fan, and I appreciate your investment guidance.
0: Thank you. Trying every day, every day, and every night, and every day. What's going on? You're doing a good job,
1: man. Oh, thank you. Um, I picked up Kraft last year and had a good game for normal times. Uh, They've recently had a couple upgrades and have a buy rating, but the stock price has been slipping. Just wondering what's up with that, and will Kraft ever get back to the days of $50 a share plus? Uh, It would be hard
0: for them to do. What's going on is that people are now focused on the reopening of America because of uh, the vaccine, and people feel that Kraft Heinz, uh, if you don't have to buy their stuff and in, 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 in be at home, you won't. So they're uh, and now back in the old world of they don't have stuff that people really want to buy and people are going to be going out. And so uh, buyers are sensing that and they're dumping the stock left and right. I want to go to Joshua in New Jersey. Joshua. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. First time caller. OK. Uh, my question is
2: about the trade desk. Uh, this company's stock sold off with a broader market the day after Christmas weekend with no catalyst. Since nothing fundamental has changed with the stock, what are your thoughts on the
1: future of the trade desk? Well,
0: mistakenly, this stock is viewed as a stock that's going to get hurt if America reopens. I think that's false. I think it's a terrific company. So the level that you want to buy it is in question. I'm not sure yet because these stocks are still falling. But when you saw Zoom do that big offering and then the stock roared, I think that says you should be thinking it's almost time maybe buy a little TTD, see if it comes down. Right now we've got a bull market in short busting. Uh, don't try to game them, but at least you know that that's what's driving a lot of stocks—not necessarily the fucking elves. Well, On buddy tonight, could diamonds be an investor's best friend? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Signet and talking about the company's soaring holiday sales, including online. And a public-private partnership working to solve the vaccine bottleneck. I'm talking to Honeywell's amazing CEO, Darius Damcheck, about the company's move to help roll out one million vaccines by July, and I bet he beats that. And Cisco just announced a $4.5 billion acquisition. I've got the CEO fresh off the news, so stay with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
0: Spending years lost in the wilderness, Signet Jewelers is making a remarkable, incredible comeback. You know them as the, a company behind K Jewelers, uh, Zales, Jared. They've got 2,900 stores and a rapidly growing e-commerce unit. Signet's had a very rough time for the past five years, but they brought in a new CEO in 2017, her name is Gina Drosos, And by the beginning of last year, her turnaround plans were starting to pay off. Then the pandemic hit and the stock cratered to new all-time lows. I get that. But ever since the bottom of March, it has been working its way back. And it is just extraordinary. In the last couple of months, that move has gone into overdrive. Early December, the company reported a massively better than they expected quarter, 15% same-store sales growth, when Wall Street was only looking for five, not to mention a surprise profit. Then today, they announced some strong holiday numbers, which is why the stock jumped another 6%, breaking out above $40 for the first time in years. Even a here, the darn thing sells for just 11 times earnings, so could it have more upside? Let's check in with Jenna Drossas. She's the CEO of Signature to get a better sense of what's going on here. Jenna, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Hi, great to see you, Jim.
0: Okay, so they told me that you could never sell jewelry online. It doesn't work. People need to go to the stores. They have to try it on. Your numbers say that's not the case.
2: It's definitely not the case, Jim, but there are two key unlocks and our team has done an amazing job bringing new technology so that we can unlock the selling of jewelry online. The first is consultation. People want a trusted relationship. Sometimes buying an engagement ring is the most expensive purchase a couple's ever made. And they wanna feel like they're getting the right kind of advice. We now have over 700 virtual sellers. We can chat with people online. We have AI enablement on all of our uh, online information, but we also have people. We have 700 virtual sellers who can help them. The second unlock is visualization. We are now showing our jewelry in ways that help customers understand how big it is, how it will look on me. Will it be right? How long really is an 18 inch chain? And that has also been a big help. So we saw e-commerce growth really driving Signet's comp this quarter up over 60%. Well,
0: like many companies, uh, your company recognized you have to digitize. These are all signs that this company has become a technology leader in its field.
2: I think it's a competitive advantage for us, Jim, increasingly so. But we have plenty more opportunity. Some of our capabilities in the digital space – are still nascent. Uh, for example, in the world of fulfillment, we just started doing buy online pickup in store in October. It was the big driver over our holiday period. I was very proud of how quickly uh, we brought that to life. We were fulfilling orders ahead of customers' expectations, always within four hours. So a great new capability, but we're just getting started.
0: Now, uh, COVID destroyed a lot of jewelers. Uh, the jewel, there were two that I, I always went to for my wife, one for her birthday, one for anniversary. They always sent me tickler file, come in to see her. Here's what we have. Both went under. Now, I think you are the last man standing in this in this category.
2: Well, it's a highly fragmented category, and I think there still are some healthy players. But what I'm excited about for Signet is that we're using data and analytics now to bring our purpose to life. We want to inspire love in the communities in which we operate. Uh, We want to help people celebrate life and express love. And if if, uh, competitors aren't able to do that anymore, then we are using a data and analytics approach to really target customers in those trade areas and go in and serve jewelry customers. Okay,
0: so we went on the site uh, today. Uh, first, up, to put Piercing Pagoda, $119 pair of, pair of earrings. Uh, y- there you broke down financing into 30 interest free payments with a firm, which is the company that came public yesterday. But then we also went for some chocolate diamonds at Jared. That was $1,499 $1, with $136 a month uh, in. Uh, in payments. And we want to know, the old Signet used to make all its money doing this kind of stuff. When I see these, I'd like to think that the new Signet is not trying to make that much money doing these financings.
2: Jim, we're really trying to help our customers get value. Uh, We're a scaled company, the largest in our space. And so we believe we can offer them the best innovation best assortment of product and the best services. Uh, One of those services is helping them to buy in the way that is most appropriate for them. Sometimes that could be private label credit. Sometimes it's a split payment like a firm. Uh, We really just want to make that available as a service to our customers. But
0: if I had to look at the makeup of actual earnings, it's not like the old old days. I used to think it was about 40, uh, probably about 80 percent financing and 20 percent actual jewelry. That is no longer your breakdown.
2: I think you can comfortably say, Jim, we're a strong and growing jewelry company.
0: All right. I like that. You're a jewelry company, not a financier. And, but one thing you are very good at is paying down debt. Your balance sheet looks a lot different from when you inherited it.
2: Thanks. I'm very proud of our working capital efficiency. We've been driving out inventory, but uh, to be honest, that's really invisible to our customers because we're using data and analytics to target the right inventory in the right trade areas. So less, uh, less inventory can feel like a much more robust assortment to our customers. We've also unlocked inventory across our Stores, We now have a ship from store capability. So within 24 to 48 hours, we can access jewelry from any of our stores across the country for a customer, no matter where they live. And
0: Jen, what do you got for us for Valentine's Day?
2: Well, I think a new product is always very important. We have great new assortments. Uh, we expect to see that earrings and pendants will continue to trend. Zoom-worthy jewelry uh, will be there. But I think Valentine's Day is an important time, just like Christmas was, just like the holiday period, for people to express the love to those who are most important to them. It's, it's been a tough last year, and it's great for people to be able to express their love Uh, Through our jewelry.
0: You have been able to scale back stores. Uh, I presume now that most of the ones that are left are profitable ones. You're no longer losing money on stores and you're making money on almost everything you sell.
2: I feel very good about our store optimization strategy. Uh, We've been diligent about that. Again, it's been part of our three-year transformation strategy, so not something new that happened with COVID, but something that we've been building. Uh, We've been moving out of lower traffic malls into off-mall locations, uh, which can have a higher traffic profile and therefore a higher sales profile. So that's a continuing strategy uh, that I think has been very successful for us. We've now mapped the country and looked where jewelers should be, you know, where could we right. put a new case store, a new piercing pagoda, and we see opportunity for that also in the times ahead.
0: Well, congratulations. This is a remarkable turn. Of course, when I first met you, I did not necessarily believe that the path to brilliance would lead the path to profitability for shareholders, but I'm sure a believer now. That's Gina Drozdo, CEO of Signet Jewelers. Always great to see you. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks
0: so much, Jim. Look, look, it's a remarkable turn. No one, I, wait, if you go back and read the stories of what this thing was, you would think it was just something that could never make it. Not only is it making it, but it's generating a huge amount of cash, paying down debt, going to reward all the shareholders. It's a good story because of what Gina Drozos has done here. May have money's back into the break. Right now, we're in a desperate race, the race to get vaccinated before we get COVID. The pandemic is out of control. 4,000 deaths yesterday, 219,000 new infections. We've got two vaccines, but our government hasn't been doing a great job of getting them where they're needed. Which brings me to Honeywell. This is one of my absolute favorite industrials, but tonight we're focused on what Honeywell is doing in North Carolina. This morning, the company announced that it's teaming up with the governor and a bunch of other organizations, Atrium Health, North Carolina Motor Speedway, Kepper Sports and Entertainment, in an effort to vaccinate a million people in the next six months. Yes, that Tepper is David Tepper, owner of the Panthers, one of my old teachers at Goldman Sachs years ago. But will they uh, Let's say, be able to do it? I don't know. It's a big task. Let's take a closer look with Darius Damcheck. He's the chairman and CEO of Honeywell to learn more about this North Carolina initiative. Mr. Damchek, welcome back to Mad Money and thank you for doing this.
1: Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you. It's nice to be back as always. And uh, this is something I have a great deal of passion about personally. So it's easy for me to do because like you and probably like many others, I've been watching these vaccination rates. And and it's uh, it's just a little bit of heartbreaking. The pharma companies did a great job bringing us these vaccines. And we really need to get them into people's arms as quickly as we possibly can. And you couple that with the fact that the COVID uh, era is upon us like never before. The uh, infection rates are the highest we've ever seen them. We have to dramatically accelerate the rate of vaccinations.
0: So what exactly did you do? I mean, I know North Carolina has not been very good so far. Uh, I think there are a lot of people, uh, wealthy people, CEOs, whatever, who are listening right now and saying, hey, here's someone who just decided he's mad as hell. He's not going to take him. He's going to save people's lives. Give me the flow chart of what you did to make this happen.
1: Well, you know, that's exactly kind of how it happened. I woke up last Saturday morning and I looked at the rates and I was just disappointed. And, uh, and luckily it's such a close knit um, community of CEOs and leaders here in Charlotte. And, uh, and I was going for a walk in our neighborhood, the sort of the COVID social thing to do with uh, uh, Tom Glick, who's the president of the Panthers and obviously very close. I also know David Tepper very well and, we got it on a phone and I also took a walk with uh, Gene Woods, who's the CEO of Atrium Health. And, you know, we discussed this concept about how about if the three entities get together and really solve this problem, which has three dimensionals, to, three dimensions to it. The first one is the actual administrations of the vaccine itself into people's arms. And that's more of a medical challenge and, and opportunity to is you need a very large facility to create a massive center which is used to flowing a lot of people in and out. And obviously the Panthers do that a lot of Sundays in the fall. And then, and then us, you know, how does Honeywell fit in? Well, Honeywell fits in because we have a very complex supply chain. You know, we know manufacturing. We have over 300 manufacturing and logistics locations throughout the world. And we think we could help in terms of setting up the processes, setting up the proper tack time, balancing the line and really getting many people vaccinated very, very quickly. And we talked to the mayor. We talked to the governor. They were both very supportive. Governor Cooper thought it was a great idea and he lent us all the resources here to help. And, And we're thrilled to make a difference and partner with these great entities in our local and state uh, leadership.
0: Well, I want to speak to what your contribution is, because I love your Healthy Buildings Initiative. Uh, a lot of what you're doing now is software. A lot of what you're doing is solving complex problems. I went to get uh, the Moderna shot yesterday. And I, look, I don't want to denigrate. I'm happy that I got my first half. But the, the notion of uh, logistics, the notion of data tracking, the notion of efficiency, the notion of productivity, Darius, none of those boxes is checked. None. I mean, I listen to you. I want to fly down to where you are because this is what is needed. It's a public health problem that needs to be solved by business that knows how to solve big issues. And that's Honeywell. The government, sadly, is too
1: small. Well, I would characterize the following way because this problem is not simple. If you think about the need to roll out, you know, 300 million plus vaccines across the country in a very effective and efficient manner with the challenges around storage, distribution, queuing, appointment setting, keeping track of who gets which vaccines and when, you know, that's a very complex problem. And I don't think any one entity has all the skill sets to do this, whether it's the states, whether it's medical companies, whether it's stadium owners. You know, frankly, I felt that Honeywell is a fairly complex company that has a lot of tentacles all over the world and has operates a lot of manufacturing. We could help and lend our expertise and. And frankly, that's why we volunteered to to jump in and see if we can make a difference. And by the way, the model here that we hope to do is not just for the state of North Carolina and, and Charlotte. What we want to do is get this up and running and going. And we're happy to share this with other states, with other entities, with other large stadium facilities or whatever it may be, because we really want this to be used throughout the country so we can create these massive vaccination centers and get these vaccines roll out quickly. And, you know, we anticipate the availability of about 30 million of vaccines in uh, the month of January, 50 million hopefully in the month of fe- February, and then even more in March. So we need to have the capacity to absorb all these vaccines that are coming out of the manufacturers. And that's not even counting the possibility of companies like J&J and AstraZeneca getting their vaccines approved, which is actually even going to increase the supply even more.
0: Now, I want to be sure there was no resistance from government saying it has to be done this way or that way. The, the, you were able very quickly to say, look, this is a good thing. you got to be with us on it.
1: Yeah, I think Governor Cooper and Mayor Lyles here in, in Charlotte, she, they very much embraced this idea. Uh, I give them all the credit in the world. You know, they, they want to partner with us. And really make this happen. And I think we all have the same objective, which is how do we get these vaccines rolled out quickly into people's arms? And they've been terrific uh, in terms of
0: you're doing remarkable things. I want people who are watching CEOs, mayors, governors to know how to find out what where is your plan? Is it on a website? What do we do? Let's let's do this, Darius. Let's shame them and let's make them. How do I get people to know about
1: what you're doing? Well, you know, just, Jim, we're about two days into this effort, so give us a week or two so we can kind of work out exactly what we're doing here, because basically, we're going to be building a model. We're going to be building a balanced line to really process everybody, but I promise that as soon as we get that model built and optimize the processes, we're going to share this with anybody that wants to use it, because... We're in this together and we want this to be leveraged throughout the countries and every other facility. So, you know, we'll we'll distribute and, and share that knowledge with anybody or even lend our ourselves to help.
0: And I want people to know that Darius was very helpful when I did my mass challenge. Uh, Honeywell, again, just jumped right in. It's not, No quid pro quo. Just said, listen, how can we help? That's what Honeywell does, and that's what Darius Damcheck does. Darius, I salute you. I mean, this is just a remarkable thing. I bet other people do it because they just heard you come on. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure as yeah. always.
0: Sometimes the good guys are just amazing, aren't they? Darius Damcheck, Honeywell. Mad Money's back in the break. Right? going on at Cisco Systems with this on-again, off-again takeover of Acacia uh, Communications, a company that we always liked. A year and a half ago, Cisco agreed to buy Acacia, and this was a networking equipment maker that had been a, really a thorn in their side for a while, this deal. but Then the deal languished because Chinese regulators refused to give it a green light. Finally, at the end of last week, Acacia said enough and announced that they were terminating the deal, which is when things got more complicated. Cisco sued. Acacia countersued. Then today we learned that they come to a new agreement, but it would cost Cisco a lot more money. The original deal valued the company at 70 bucks. They're going to get it at 115. And that's why Cisco stock got a little thing today, although not by much. I think they made the right move. You need this for, for 5G for the enterprise. But let's go directly to the source with Chuck Robbins, the chairman and CEO of Cisco. Get a better read on what just happened. let talk about what Cisco looks like. Chuck, welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Hey, Jim, it's great to be here. Hope you're doing well and congrats on the
0: vaccine. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I want everyone to get it. We've got to get everybody vaccinated. Then the country will return to normal. I really believe that. Okay, so, Chuck, people might say, oh, they're willing to pay $70 for this occasion in July of 2019. What the heck? Now they're paying 115. Cisco's getting ripped off. But that isn't necessarily the case, is it?
4: No, we don't think that's the case at all. If you if you look at what happened over the last eighteen months, uh, Raj and the team have managed the company incredibly well. They have exceeded the uh, the, the metrics that were in the original deal model. Uh, they had a stellar two thousand twenty, and uh, in fact, if you if you look at the valuation that we ended up paying, it was actually quite reasonable. So. We were, uh, we're pleased to get it behind us. We're looking forward to the future. We're ready to welcome the team, and uh, we think it's a very reasonable valuation that we paid today.
0: Well, uh, how about somebody who says, look, a deal's a deal. I mean, look, if business had gone bad, you still would have been paying uh, 70. I mean, if business went bad, I mean, maybe you could have got it for 50, but tough luck, Chuck.
4: Yeah, well, they, they did a great job, and their business is going well. And, look, we would much prefer to have them coming in uh, with a lot of momentum and a lot of success with their customers, and that's the position we find ourselves in. And uh, to your point, this this technology is going to be really important for so many of the transitions ahead: the 400 gig transition, the high-speed infrastructure to required for 5G networks, the optics, and the web scale players. So it's very strategic for us, and it's uh, super important to our future.
0: You have been totally upfront uh, the last three times I talked you, saying, "Listen." Don't get too aggressive on Cisco 5G until we get to later in 2021, because it's enterprise. It's not the 5G that you're thinking about on your cell phone, Jim. Are we on the cusp?
4: Well, you know, I I talked to one of our large service providers today, and they, they do believe that, you know, over the next two years, we're going to begin to really see that come to life. And I think we're seeing the consumer build out now. And we're seeing the enterprise use cases and we're working with many of the telcos and carriers who are building out their 5G networks to actually build those enterprise use cases because they respect our ability to actually help them in the enterprise, given our presence there. So we think that we're, we're getting very close and, uh, and it's finally good to see a lot of the customers begin to build out these 5G networks. We've, we're working with over 30 providers globally today. Uh, on backhaul networks and designing new architectures to support the 5G infrastructure in the future. So uh, I think
0: it's it's finally getting close. But, you know, Chuck, it's funny when I, I talk to you, when I watch you on TV uh, all over, you, you are a leader now in what business can do in this country. And your business is a force of good. I know you believe that. At the same time, uh, Washington is very complicated, Chuck. How are you ferreting things out Was it on contributions by by your company o- on the worry that there was an insurrection last week, which I know you and I mean, we, we talk about this stuff and you and I aren't used to this. None of us are used to this. How does the CEO of a major Dow Jones company deal with these things? Well, certainly
4: the, the role of the CEO has changed significantly over the last few years and it changed again last week. And I think that, uh, you know, what we're trying to do, uh, my colleagues and I, we're, we're just trying to be unifying functions to the extent we can and just try to focus on moving forward. And I think that, um, you know, what, what we're talking about is what, next week we have a transition of power. We have a new administration. We have a lot of things we need to do. We have so many Challenges in this country right now that it's, it's more important to focus on building out infrastructure in this country, getting the stimulus money out to people who are suffering right now, focusing on cybersecurity and the things that are going on, helping companies get back to the office and, and, and have the appropriate tools and technologies to actually make that happen. So there's so much to do that we really need
0: to focus on the future. We spoke to uh, Darius Sadamchuk, of course, you know, from uh, Honeywell. He actually got fed up with it. He said, you know what? I'm going to get some people together in my town in Charlotte, and we're going to vaccinate a million people. And he did. Three calls. And he got it done because everybody feels like you do. Okay, what do you do? How about, Chuck, you make three calls and Benioff makes three calls. I don't know. Zuckerberg makes me through. I mean, we'll get everybody to make three calls. And can't we do it better Uh, or at least augment the very challenged public health system in this country?
4: Well, you know, Jim, I th- I think that um, we're going to see a much greater volume of vaccines, obviously coming out. We got the news on the Johnson Johnson one today that you and I've talked about, and we're we're using our technology to actually help this process. We're doing everything from IoT sensors to to ensure the appropriate cooling as these things are transported to uh, wireless technology for these pop up vaccine centers. We've even had healthcare institutions uh, asked to use our parking lots to actually create capacity to do these vaccines. So we're doing everything we can, but I I honestly believe that in a few weeks we're gonna have uh, a reasonable amount of capacity. And we're going to really be making progress on this. And I, I, I can't wait. And I know you can't either. Uh,
0: I know. I actually think it's going to come. You'll come back to the restaurant. We're going to reopen. Now, here's the thing, Chuck. I'm seeing this Facebook saying, listen, we can't have this discourse. And I'm seeing Twitter banning the president, obviously. And I'm thinking some people are saying that's free speech. But then other people say, listen, should there be free speech for inciting a riot? Should there be free speech for racism? Uh, what's what's your view of these issues?
4: I think it's clear that if you're if you're leveraging these communication platforms to incite violence, then it's wrong period or if you're uh, spreading hatred and racism and it's wrong and I think that um you know that's that's the the thing we're facing in our country right now and it's it's just so important for us to get past this time It's been a very sad couple of weeks I know we had we all had such high aspirations for 2021, post-2020, and we certainly haven't started out uh, the way we had hoped, but uh, I remain optimistic, and I think we're gonna, we're gonna tackle this pandemic, we're gonna get the economy moving again, and I think we're gonna have a great year. Well, I,
0: everyone shares exactly that view. I think we have more unity than people realize in this country. Certainly doesn't seem like it right now, but Chuck, you've done your, your best to try to make it happen. Chuck Robbins, Chairman and CEO of Cisco. Great to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. All right. Chuck's at the forefront of behind the scenes of so many. He's at the forefront behind the scenes, that sounds hard to believe, of so many charitable issues and so many things that can make society better. But he's also running a company that is going to have a very good 2021. They have Money's back in And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, That's The lightning round is over. Dexter in cowboy. Dexter. ba Mr. Kramer. What's going on? I want to first thank you for all you've done for us out here in the investing world. Uh, life is good when you make money, and you've helped us make a lot of money. I'm looking around to see if everybody agrees with that. The moneys good to make money. <laughs> bad, bad, lose money. Good. Everyone agrees with you. <laughs> <You're good laughs> we all agree with you. Got a question? Okay. Everybody in America knows you like Plug Power. You I bet. A fuel cell company. But this space is large enough, possibly for you to endorse another. What do you think about another fuel cell product designer by the name of Ballard Power? Ballard's good, but Plug is my uh, it, it is my fave. And I don't feel like it's one of these things where I don't feel like I need to have a lot of favors when I've got plug. I thank you for the kind words, but I'm a plug guy. Although I see it's coming down because, you know, somebody came out this morning and said, oh, all the good news is done. That will probably prove to be incorrect, but let it come in. Let's go to Matt in Alabama. Matt. Roll Tide to you, Jim. How are you? Roll Tide. I'm doing doing well. I'm calling about Romeo Power. I like Romeo Power. I like the battery solution. I think it's good. We looked at Romeo in the same light that we looked at uh, NGA last night. Uh, th- this is one that's come down a lot, and I think it's kind of attractive, frankly. Let's go to Jeff in the Illini. Jeff! Hey,
3: Jim. I'm a first-time caller. I watched you daily since March. I bought your book, and I joined your club. You make me
4: laugh, Jim. I learned a lot, too. So, Terrific. Booyah, Do ya? Thank I, you. Uh, Action Alerts. Thank Oxy you. At, uh, yeah, I bought Oxy at 33. Occidental,
0: and can you please tell me how high it can go, or should I just sell it? No, it? no, no, look, look, it's short-term, the oils are a trade, and they're a trade because oil is going up, because part of the reopening of the world, we're going to use more fuel. But you are going to have to get out of it eventually once once we all start doing more business, because then you're going to deal with a backlash. And the backlash is the president and the people who feel that fossil fuels are bad for the earth. So you got this window. I bet you it goes back to where you bought it. But then you got to roll. That's what I would do. I'm going to Renato in Florida. Renato. Jim, booyah. Thank you so much for taking my call. Not a problem. What's going on? Well, Jim, uh, you have the CEO of this company on, and I've been watching this stock, and I, you know it's cheap relative to its growth, and the
1: CEO was so upbeat, I pulled the trigger, but the stock's done nothing but go down since I bought it. I'm talking about Salesforce. What do you think? What's your take?
0: Oh, you know, look, it's it's made that acquisition. That's the problem. People don't like the acquisition. Once the deal closes, they will. I think they're having Salesforce having a real good quarter, a real good year. I sense your frustration. I almost pulled the trigger, told my guys in Action Alerts Plus, you know what, we gotta buy back more Salesforce. We're holding off right now, but I think we're gonna have to start buying next week. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
3: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
0: Like I said at the top of the show, this new crop of young investors has changed the character, the landscape, the entire market. And most older investors don't even recognize it yet. It's not just that they love speculative stocks either. They are high-risk, high-reward players, but it's much bigger than that. These days, when you're interviewing a CEO on air, you better come armed with a key question that younger investors want answered before they pull the trigger. What are you doing to help the helpless, to save the environment, to empower the disenfranchised? That's why so many younger investors demand to know what is going on with the social issues before they buy a stock. This morning, I spoke to Ron Coghlan. He's the CEO of the newly public Petco. And in the old days, I would have spent every moment drilling down on the earnings, the sales, so that people could make Apple-to-Apple judgments against other companies in the industry. Uh, Like, say, Chewy. I mean, you got to know whether this is better or worse than Chewy, right? For most of my career, Wall Street only cared about the money, the comps, the price-to-earnings ratios. That was it. But that's no longer the case. Now I have to pivot myself. I focus on what Petco's doing to help the helpless, which in this particular case means dogs. I wanted to check the box of what a younger investor might do, might think about before they buy a stock. Turns out Petco's got it down. Coghlan said, and I'm going to quote, we are on an absolute mission to eliminate euthanasia. Every single year, we have found shelters that avoid euthanasia for 400,000 pets, end quote. On top of that, the company helps fund animal cancer research. Cancer is number one killer of pets. As Coghlan put it, again, I quote, pets don't deserve pain and fear. They deserve love, end quote. Now, this question came easily for me because we're a rescued dog family. We got a good little boy in Marley before he was put down at a Tennessee kill center. And, of course, you know about the late NVIDIA, formerly Everest, who was beaten for years before we took him in. However, I would never have asked Coglin about this in the old days, not in a million years, because it would have looked syrupy, tangential waste of time, saccharine. But then, back then... All this helping the helpless stuff was irrelevant to the business of making money. I might have sounded foolish. You might have thought so too. Now though, I think Ron's answer about stamping out kill centers was a major reason. Why? The stock exploded higher from its offering price, ultimately finishing up 63% a red-hot deal. See, younger investors care about this stuff, and they love this story. Can you game this kind of thing? I know that's not why I do it, but the answer is a resounding yes. Case in point, PepsiCo. This morning we learned that PepsiCo is more than doubling its climate change goals, pledging to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2040. Now this company's always been known as a leader in what's known as ESG, environmental sustainability and corporate governance. I'm doubling down on this in 2021. More than a decade ago, I went to see a Frito Lay plant in Aberdeen, Maryland, with the old CEO Indra and that plant was already reducing its footprint dramatically. They recycled circulated the water from the potatoes to help create fantastic potato chips. Those were Sun Chips down there. Oh boy, were they ahead of their time. As much as I like PepsiCo, though, that, that's not the best way to play this news. I'd rather on the company we had on the show just last night, the Lion Electric. These guys make electric buses and delivery vans. Crucially, they already have a strategic relationship with PepsiCo. So when Pepsi says they're doubling down on reducing carbon emissions, you better believe that probably means that they are thinking about taking more electric delivery trucks. Now, now the one that they'd have to choose, I have to bet, is Lion Electric. But you can't buy the stock of Lion Electric yet. You have to buy a special purpose acquisition company that's about to merge with it. And that's called Northern Genesis Acquisition, NGA. Of course, Northern Genesis was already up 11.5% today because people know about Lion's electric relationship with PepsiCo. But you know what? I think it could have a lot more to run, run because Pep's just the tip of the iceberg. All the companies are doing the same thing. Sooner or later, every major consumer packaged goods play will get religion or environmental sustainability. And when they do, That means more demand for Lion Electric and its peers. The younger people will inherit the earth. They want it preserved. And when they get it, they invest with that goal in mind. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.